This is Resolutions, a podcast from the American Bar Association Dispute Resolution Section. I'm one of your co-hosts, Larry Schooler. I'm a director and senior facilitator at Kearns and West and teach at the University of Texas. One of the many dynamics magnified by the pandemic is the need to secure our data. We get a lot of it as neutrals, and we have to make sure it remains confidential and is safely discarded. Our guest today, Gary Dornhafer, has thought about this issue from a number of angles. He's the founder of ADR Notable, a software platform designed for dispute resolution professionals. Well, Gary Dornhafer, welcome to Resolutions. Great to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. For those who aren't as familiar with uh, ADR Notable, what would you describe as the company's niche in the dispute resolution space? ADR Notable is intended to be the basic platform for anyone in the dispute resolution field as a case and practice management solution. So it it works with you at all stages uh, of, of every case you bring in, whether it's intake or note-taking or creating a summary document uh, of the agreement of the parties. And then it has practice management features as well to help you uh, organize a large volume of cases. So with the obvious uh, uptick, the well-documented uptick in dispute resolution proceedings taking place virtually, I wonder what impact you've seen at, uh, at your company from your perch as it relates to how practitioners are using it? Yeah, I, interestingly, you know, I think the pandemic and the compulsory change or you know, adoption of video conferencing actually raised the profile and interest in, uh, in technology products generally. I think a lot of people learned how to use Zoom or the, or the device of their choice and then started saying, well, gee, what else is there that could make my life uh, easier uh, and help me operate my practice more effectively? So I think we actually, in a strange way, benefited from, uh, from that uh, the sensitivity to the, the, the way that technology could contribute to a practice. I also wonder, though, given concerns, not necessarily pandemic related, but just generally about the security of information uh, on the internet in the in the cloud, so to speak, you know, if, if you have a practitioner who comes to you and say, well, you have a nice looking platform here, but uh, I'm good with just writing things down and then shredding them or, you know, putting them in a file cabinet with a lock and key, you know, how do you respond to that? Well, we've, we have heard that, frankly. And, you know, I think, I think people underestimate the obligation to protect uh, information that they just put down on a piece of paper. And if you look, for instance, at the California Consumer Privacy Act, um, it actually has a paragraph calling that out and, and specifically saying, uh, you know, essentially, I don't care if you wrote it down on a napkin, if you intend to put that piece of information in a file, you're covered by the CCPA. So the obligations on data protection are no uh, less just because you're using pen and paper. Um, now, maybe you think that's a little easier but it's, you know, let's, let's face it, that's not as effective or efficient in running a high volume modern practice. Um, and you do still have to worry about what you're doing with that piece of paper. And, you know, every time I get on an airplane and I look at, you know, I sit, put something in the seat back pocket in front of me, I think about somebody lo- leaving that legal pad that they were working on on the airplane in the seat back pocket. And, you know, you have just breached the confidentiality of that material. So it's, 
it, it's different, but it has its own obligations and it may not really scale well to a modern practice. You know, I think a lot of our listeners are going to be familiar generally with the need to, you know, maintain confidentiality and secure the data from their proceedings. But I mean, if you're talking to either a prospective uh, customer or just a, a general audience, you know, what do they need to understand about the basic principles of, of data security in this particular space, do you think? Right. Well, first of all, I am one of them. I, am, I don't come from a technical background. So I'm just the guy now who's done the research for, so that other people don't have to, uh, hopefully. So, you know, I can kind of, I can kind of summarize what I think people need to do. And, and in general, I, you know, I sort of, I attacked this when I look, started looking into it in, in different stages. The first one was sort of what's the source of the actual obligation. And, you know, there's some regulatory things like the California Consumer Privacy Act or GDPR, everyone's heard of. Now, a lot of mediators aren't actually going to be uh, technically within the scope of those things, but they, they put pretty good guidelines on what you ought to be thinking about, even if you're not technically re required to comply. Then there's, you know, there's industry um, practice regulation, not regulations, but, but um, you know, practice guides and best practices. And then of course there is the overriding obligation of, of confidentiality and what do you have to do to, in terms of technology use of technology to abide by that obligation of, of confidentiality. And once you get to that, then you, you, you sort of want to look at, well, you know, what are the things I actually have to protect? What, what, what am I getting? What am I receiving that I have to worry about? And, it, and you have to think about email and conversations via a technology platform like this, the notes you take, uh, documents re you receive from the parties. So there are categories of things that you then need to, to think about in you know, one at a time because there are different strategies on each one. And then uh, the next thing I would say is that uh, you know, there, there are three basic strategies that you should think about. One is uh, keep the intruders out. Uh, two is try and protect the data even if the intruders get in and that's typically through encryption. And then third is sort of know what to do if you if if one and two fail. What's the response plan? You know, you should be thinking about cyber insurance and, and things like that. So those are the three broad level basics. Keep them out. Figure out what to do if they get in, and um, and then what do you do if if the first two fail? I'm thinking for a moment just about what I go through, for example, to log into certain resources at the university where I teach, and I typically have a, a double login there, you know, with a right. code that's sent to me. It sounds like what you're saying is yes, and that that level of protection is is good. Um, but you need to worry about someone even, you know, getting past those two layers and into the, the content and then, you know, having a, a safeguard there. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, that's, that's what I describe as the fortress wall, right? The two-factor authentication. That's what you're, the technical phrase for what you're describing. That's part of the strategies of just keeping the intruders out. It's the fortress wall. And that includes other things like just keeping your virus uh, definitions up to date, keeping your firewall, firewall uh, current. And, and frankly, just the simple user of a computer the way you do those in almost every computer system now is just turn it off and turn it on now and then, because almost certainly your system is designed to update patches from Microsoft, um, 
your and your virus definitions, all, you know, all of that is going to get updated either automatically overnight when you're not using the computer if you have that set, or at a minimum when you just log off. And, and we've all seen that, right? It says, do not turn your computer off, you know, updating. And it and you have to wait for it to shut down or you have to wait for it to turn back on. But people who leave their computers on without ever doing that do run the risk of not building that that fortress wall as well as it could be. And then after that, as you say, I mean, the way people are getting in is, is you know, they're doing phishing with a P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G um, and they're getting inside the walls of the fortress, uh, usually by uh, some kind of email message or some kind of file download. And now they're inside the fortress walls. And yes, you, you, it should be a, it should be a both strategy, try and get those those fortress walls as strong as you can and keep them that way. And then think about what happens if they get inside. A lot of what we've been talking about in this conversation up to now has been focused on sort of, <clears throat> you know, semi-permanent material, like stuff that's not, you know, uh, changing. Um, but I'm curious what your position might be on, again, the securing of sort of a real-time conversation that we know, of course, can be, you know, hacked into or entered without authorization? You know, what do you tell right. folks there? Well, I think, you know, there was obviously some high profile breaches uh, in the early days of using Zoom. And, and my sense is that uh, they responded well to that. And then other providers of, of video conferencing learned from their mistakes. So that if you now use the tools that are available to you when you set up your call, you know, like using a waiting room and, and um, ensuring that you don't use your same personal ID for most, but you let it generate um, um, a random ID for each, uh, each meeting you set up. I mean, the tools that are, are now available to you to keep these call, the, 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 the conversations that are going on by a video conference uh, pretty secure. Right. Nothing's perfect in this world, but but if you use the tools they now provide uh, properly, you really are pretty. Con you can be pretty confident that you're not going to get the Zoom bombing, uh, you know, that we we saw in sort of in the early days of of uh, growth of it during the pandemic. You know, I'm on a a box, a Dropbox, a Google Drive, a OneDrive, and I've put in some of the levels of security you've described. What's different? for me if I'm using something that's more specifically tailored to an ADR uh, audience? Well, really not much is going to be different. Uh, I mean, I, but you've made a good distinction in that question. Um, you know, there are going to be folks who are working maybe for one of the larger organizations, ADR organizations. They're going to have an IT team. They're going to have proprietary servers. A lot of that sort of stuff they don't need to worry about because somebody else is doing it for them. Um, what you, but for all those folks who are out there who are working on their own, you know, they have a choice between trying to just do it all on their own personal computer or using some of the resources of cloud storage like Google Drive or, or iCloud or uh, Microsoft Azure. Um, and I personally, I mean, I, I would strongly recommend that people think about the Google Drive or the, the cloud storage units, whatever one they want to choose because you know somebody is updating your your firewalls every day uh, in those situations. They're staying current on virus definitions. Um, there, there's just a suite of tools that come inherently with, with cloud storage that you can replicate, but you have to know what you're doing uh, or you have to have a team that's doing it if you're doing it outside the cloud. 
So, but the but you know, the, to, to your question, the, the ADR component of this doesn't really add anything particularly unique. There's certainly a lot of very sensitive personal information that's being stored by other organizations, and, and they're using the same techniques uh, that we would use in in ADR context. What exactly is the data that needs to be secured, and for how long? I mean, obviously there are communications that may occur prior to a mediation or an arbitration that we would want to have secured. But at the point that the case is closed in whatever form or fashion, you know, how does a platform like yours or, or a practitioner decide what data needs to be secured and what data needs to be destroyed, essentially? Right. Well, I, I mean, you you just put your finger on one of the basic strategies that people should consider, which is save as little as you as you possibly can get away with, right? I mean, the best first step is uh, is to get rid of the the sensitive information if it is no longer required for you to hold on to it. Um, but that said, you have to be a little bit thoughtful about what may constitute information people need to protect. I think we we focus because of the confidentiality obligation to mediators. Uh, or arbitrators, uh, neutrals in general, we, we think about the content of the case, but you also have personally identifiable information, maybe in a contact manager, or maybe you're taking payment, and now you have, you may actually have credit card numbers or other payment information. So people need to be a little bit mindful about that kind of stuff and get rid of it when they don't need that anymore. And then what we did in building ADR Notable uh, with an eye toward this particular issue is when you complete a case, what we actually have is secure delete feature, and you can go in and, and delete all of the documents that were uploaded into that matter and all of the mediator's notes. And then we give you a folder basically for anything you wanna keep as a business record. So agreements to mediate, engagement letter, whatever. Each case, when you open it, has a retained documents folder. So you can put your business records into there. And then it, it, what remains when you do this secure delete is a business record framework. There was a mediation, who were the parties and what was the ultimate outcome in, a, in just a settled, not settled sort of um, sense. So we've tried to structure to what seemed to be the right level of, of what should be kept and what should not be kept. Um, you know, a basic business record, but the sensitive materials are, can easily be deleted at the end of a case. As you've done this work, whether just in the last you know year and a half or, or prior, what what are some of the most common pitfalls you think that neutrals uh, run into as it relates to data security? I mean, it's it's the same for all businesses, and it's 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 the basics of password management. People either not using you know strong passwords, not changing them, um, that sort of thing. And I you know we would strongly recommend people use a password management program. And I actually just did a little look at this just this weekend. And, it, you know, the, the technical people who really understand this stuff better than I are saying that even though, you know, when you do use like Chrome as your browser, it remembers your passwords. And apparently the security of that has actually gotten much better. So if you just use that um, to let your browser remember your password and then create really wickedly complex, you know, take the random generated password that Chrome will do for you uh, and use it because you don't have to remember this series of jumbled letters and numbers. Chrome will remember it for you. And all, all the browsers have that function. 
So, you know, the biggest risk is still the human being component of this. It's either password management or it is, it's, it's falling for something that comes into your email. And the two things to look for there are, is it have an executable file attached to it? Something that when you click it, it you know, you can see in the attachment that it has an executable uh, file. Uh, you know, be very skeptical of those, very cautious about those. Now you can, people can spoof that appearance. So it'll, it'll be an executable file and you won't know it, but you know, be, be very skeptical about opening files that are attached to email. And there's really almost no good reason to ever use a link that's buried in an email. And you get something that looks like it's from your cable provider or something that says you need to, you need to click here to update your password or whatever. Just go out of the email, go into that actual company's uh, website and go find that function. Uh, whenever you see a, a, you know, a link, again, you should be skeptical about that. So the two, the two big things are just the basic, you know, we call it security hygiene. It's password, aggressive use of password protection uh, with long and complex passwords changed frequently. And it's, uh, it's phishing. It's those, it's those emails you get that have got nasty things attached to them. As we, God willing, emerge from the pandemic, uh, I, I think there's a general sense that a lot of the work that has been going on virtually for the last year and a half may continue, but irrespective of how much of the practice remains virtual, can you take out a metaphorical crystal ball and, and anticipate any horizon data security questions for, for neutrals to, to consider, uh, whether they're mediating and, and arbitrating virtually or, or not? I think it, it may be that, that the hybrid actually begins to make this security a little bit more complicated because now you may end up to, starting to move between the two worlds of, of paper or, or printing things or you know, getting physical documents and still having the electronic at the same time. So I think the more you move away from the, you know, the environment of purely one or the other, it just makes your world a little bit more complicated. And I, I, you know, an example that somebody gave me was, is moving files. So, you know, somebody uh, who worked actually in one of the bigger firms, but they would put files on a USB stick and take them home and print them or work with them on another computer. And of course, as soon as you do that, you've taken that confidential material outside of all the protections that your firm has put around their system, because now you're carrying it around on a USB stick that doesn't have any of that. Uh, uh, that kind of protection. So I think the the hybrid environment just makes it, you need to be more sensitive now in just in two sort of two worlds or two universes, right? The the brick and mortar um, paper and uh, and the digital use as well. I, I feel obligated to ask this last question of you. Uh, <laughs> have you uh, have you an experience that you can share with the listeners where you? realized you're just one of us <laughs> that you that you had some kind of a of a uh, of a breach uh, a slip up uh, some some lesson learned in the data security world I, i'm i'm embarrassed to say this uh, but the answer is absolutely yes we've had just since we've started adr notable we're a brand new company uh we've had two uh we had one you know where a very new employee got a, a message that appeared to be from me asked her to 
grab a couple of um, restaurant gift cards. And she knew, she was correct in knowing that we had used those for our testers, for beta testers. We've given people some uh, restaurant gift cards as a thank you for spending time to test our product. And the message asked her to, you know, to go get those and then send them the numbers. And, uh, you know, she did. And we lost about 600 bucks to, to uh, gift cards that went out the, out the door uh, before we actually knew what was going on. Um, so it is, it's all about that training and sensitivity to those kinds of messages that come in and whether it's really from uh, the sender it appears to be from. So I, it was a small lesson, you know, slight, slight pain, uh, more embarrassing than anything else, but it raised the attention you know, inside our company to pay an attention, you know, closer regard for those uh, kinds of messages that you see in your systems. Well, just in case, I have not been mugged and do not need $10 million from you. Uh, <laughs> just, just want yeah. you to know that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, thanks again for joining us on Resolutions. We appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely, Larry. I appreciate it. Take care. That was Gary Dornhafer, founder of ADR Notable. You can find out more about the company and about data security in the show notes. For Resolutions, I'm Larry Schooler.